So, Lord, that's where we posture ourselves this morning, on your faithfulness. You've done it before, and you'll do it again. In the words of the prophet Habakkuk, Lord, we've, we've heard of your awesome deeds. We've heard of your marvelous wonders, and we ask you to do them again in our day. In our day, repeat them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. So, happy new year. We are, we are here. Welcome. Let me be, you know, your tour guide for this little bit. Welcome to 2023. Is it all you imagined it would be so far? See, I, I remember sitting in the library in the 90s in high school with Daryl and a group of our friends, and, and I know the 90s were a long time ago and not very long ago for others. It's like retro to my kids. <laughs> Anyhow, we would sit in the library and there would be talks about in the 2000s, right? We would be living like the Jetsons, flying cars, people on the moon, you know, and well, we're not. Our cars are on the ground. Everybody lives here. We don't have any neighbors on the moon. Not much has changed, right? Still kind of the same. Stuff has changed but remains the same. Many of us come into a new year let me ask, who's made a resolution or resolutions? Are you those kind of people? Wow, no. <laughs> okay, so now tell me the truth. How many of you have made resolutions, but you think you're not going to keep them more than a week, so you don't want to admit it? Okay, those are my people. How many of you set goals for the year? Not resolutions, but goals. Oh, there's the saints. Good for you. See, we, we come into a new year, and, and I'll be really honest. For me, September feels more like a new year than January, you know, and, and maybe it's the perpetual heart of a student, but September always feels like, you know, the new beginning. But here we are sort of in the midst of it all, and, you know, the world says, hey, this is a new beginning. The, the calendar changed. But we often begin this new beginning with, with resolutions, with, with goals, with hopes. How many have hopes for this year? See, more of us have hope. We have hopes for new disciplines, right? We, we hope. Sometimes we just hope it'll magically happen. Albert Einstein is credited for defining insanity as doing the same thing over and over and over again, and expecting a different result. Here's a fun little fact, though. There is zero evidence that Einstein ever said those words. However, this defini definition is widely known, rarely practiced, and regularly proven to be true. Are you with me? See, the life of a disciple, of those of us who are following Jesus intentionally, needs to continue to be moving toward a deeper, more intimate relationship with the Lord. This means week after week and month after month and year over year, 
your relationship with the Lord needs to be more intimate than it was before. It means that your trust needs to be bigger. It means you have deeper conversations. It means that you are quicker to confess sin. You are faster to die to self and you stay dead longer. Living for him more and living for yourself less. Don't raise your hands. How are you doing? If you think back to 2022, New Year's Day, people are like, seriously, I can't remember what I ate for breakfast yesterday and you want me to remember a year from now? Let's just try. Are you moving? Are you moving deeper with the Lord? Are you standing still? I will tell you the standing still is an illusion. You're moving backward. See, there's something that we already know, and, and that's that we need to be improving and being disciplined in our walk with the Lord. We need, we need to hunger and thirst after him differently than we do now. We know it. We know that doing the same thing over and over again is a definition of insanity, expecting it to change, but it doesn't. And yet, we prove that to be true even in our walk with God. See, the challenge is, is we're lazy. We're busy. We have different priorities. And our appetite isn't maybe what it should be. See, each fall, probably in October, one of the things that I do personally is I begin to wait on the Lord for a specific word for the new year. I ask two things. I ask for a word for myself, and I ask for a word for the church. So a personal and corporate word. And I wait, and I wait. And then the Lord begins to refine it. And this morning's message is the word that the Lord has given me for us, for Northview, for our family for 2023. And as we begin to unpack it this morning, I'm going to ask you a question or two or three. What are you hungry for? Don't say bacon and eggs or pancakes after the service. What are you hungry for? What is your spiritual appetite? See, it does us no good to lie in this moment, okay? It, it, it's not doing you any favors. Let's just, let's just be honest. It's you and the Lord here. What are you hungry for? What is your spiritual appetite? Do you truly hunger for the things of the Lord? This morning, if you're with us and you know Jesus, there was a moment in your past where you accepted his love, his invitation into relationship with him. 
And when that moment happened, you've heard me talk about this before, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, was deposited in you. He took up residence in you in this mystical, supernatural, hard-to-explain way. But he indwells you as a guaranteed deposit of your inheritance with Yahweh. You became a new being. You were born again, born by the Spirit. And if you are with us this morning, or you're watching us, and, and you haven't made that decision, it is an invitation. It's an invitation into relationship with the Ancient of Days, with the Almighty with the lover of your soul. And it's so simple and yet incredibly profound and life-altering to accept the invitation. And it truly begins with a conversation. And so if that is you, I want to invite you to accept, to RSVP, the invitation of the Lord. And it's a conversation that's just so simple. It says, Lord, I, I hear you. And I see you today. And I know that you're choosing me. And I choose you too. I ask for your forgiveness of my sin. And I invite you to become everything to me. Today I surrender to you as my Lord and my Savior and my king, I love you, Lord. Amen. If you prayed that, if you had that conversation in your heart, or you can still do it, you are welcomed into the family. That mystery, that mystic, spiritual, supernatural transaction occurs in you. When you receive the invitation, this deposit of the Spirit. A new appetite for the things of the Lord is birthed in you. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to go with me to 1 Timothy this morning. Chapter 4. If you are a Bible highlighter, if you mark up your Bible, I know some people are aghast. You write in your Bible. I do. Thoughts, comments, questions, concerns, prayers. I want to encourage you, actually, if you are a marker-upper, to mark up five words. Because, friends... This is our theme. This is what God is calling us to as his Northview family. Are you ready? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. We're partway through. We're starting at the word train. Ready? Train yourselves to be godly. Let's read those five words or say those five words together. Train yourself to be godly. That's the call. Sounds easy, doesn't it? 
See, the hard truth is, is we need to face some things this morning. We need to face some facts that if we look around at the people of God, and I want you to hear me here, when we look around at the people of God, you are the people of God. So you have to include yourself in this. When we look around at the people of God, we begin to notice some things. We're failing. We're failing. We are failing at our commitments. We are failing at our marriages. We are failing at our families. We are failing at our witness. We are failing at our lives. I know that that's hard to hear. And I know that it's profoundly personal. We're failing. We are failing because we are not fulfilling our assignment. What assignment? Godliness. We are busy doing a lot of things. We are busy doing a lot of really good things, but we are failing out of our assignment to pursue godliness. And the fruit of that is in the fallout of our lives. The assignment, the mission for those of us set apart, declared holy by God, is to be a godly people. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3.11 that we are to live holy and godly lives. Loved ones, we need to be open this morning to the Lord imprinting this on our spirits. This is not about getting our ears tickled. This is not about leaning in for the next few minutes and then going home and forgetting it. We need to ask the Lord to imprint it on our hearts and our minds this morning. Because this is the year of the Lord. And if nobody's told you, he's coming back. I don't know if it's today or tomorrow or next year or the year after that. I don't know. But what I do know is that there are people out there who don't know him. And we don't look a whole lot different. What I do know is that God is calling us to be godly. So... We're going to pause for a minute. Now be careful because we're going to pray together. So I don't know how you do this if you don't want to be involved. Plug your ears. I don't know. But we're going to actually make a covenant with the Lord. So let's pray together. Father God, we hear your word. We haven't lived up to it well. But your mercy is new every morning. I thank you that you are the God of second chances and third chances. And that, that your grace is greater than anything we can imagine. So here we are. Lord, knowing that we are going to need extra help on this one. So Lord, I, I pray that you imprint this call to train ourselves to be godly, that it would be imprinted 
on our hearts and our minds, that we would begin to establish ourselves in this as, as individuals, as couples, as families, and collectively as the body. Lord, help us. Holy Spirit, pursue us unrelentingly in our pursuit of godliness that we would honor you in all things for all the days of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of my favorite things about ministry with young people is that, you know, my favorite thing is when I have a teen or a young adult or, or even, you know, a later adolescent elementary kid that comes up and says, you know, I was going to do this but I just kept hearing your voice in my head. <laughs> like, yes. So I hope that for the next 364 days till we meet again in the year of our Lord 2024, that you will hear these words every day to train yourself to be godly that everything you're about to do when you exit these doors, you will be haunted by the Spirit of God to be godly. So, in this new shiny year where everything is possible, including us becoming godly men and women, how do we do that? Let's drill down on godliness. So what is godliness? Sometimes the easiest way to understand what something is is to know what something is not. So Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, 3 verses 1 to 5, he says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Don't we know it? People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. All right, if you're anything like me, you will read a passage like this and you will be self-righteous. And you will think, yeah, I know people who are that. God's like, no, 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 it's you. It's, it's you. Crystal, I'm talking to you. So, loved ones, I need you to hear him talk to you. This is personal. So, a form of godliness, something that looks godly but that isn't godly. The form in the Greek means an appearance or an outline or a form. It's like when you see the shadow of a person, but you don't see their substance. Church, you and I can look godly, but have no substance. Do you think that that's what the world sees a little bit? When they look at the people of God, they see the form or the outline of something that's to be godly. But in fact, it has no substance. 
We can look the part and not be the part. We can appear to be godly but ultimately have no power. We can appear to be godly but have no godliness. There is a form, a shadow, but no substance. We can be, are you ready? We can be committed members of the church. We can volunteer and we can serve and we can worship and we can raise our hands and we can tithe and we can boast about our love for Jesus and have a form but no substance. I need you to stay with me this morning because I need you to hear that this is not a word of condemnation. If you are hearing or feeling condemnation, reject that. That's not of God. He is a convicting God, not a condemning God. This is not a word of condemnation. It's a word of correction. It's a word of conviction. It's a word of life. These are not words of death. His mercy is new every day. This is a call to be more, not less. And the more that I've waited on the Lord over this message, I'll be honest, the more grieved my heart has become. Because, see, the world around us can hear a whole lot of words about the gospel. They can hear a whole lot of words about Jesus. But they don't see a whole lot of power. I've come to believe that this is why far too many of us have a form of godliness but no substance. We have no power. Because we're not really plugged into the source. We speak in church a lot about the fruit of the Spirit, about holiness and godly character. But when was the last time you heard the Lord or a teacher or a preacher call you to train yourself for godliness? I'll be really honest that this is the first time I've really dug into Training yourself for godliness. See, Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 8, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Train yourself to be godly. It has value today and tomorrow, and for as long as you are here on this earth, and it has great value for the next life. When I was a kid, we would learn, we all learned how to play ball. Our school had, you know, a Wednesday night t-ball and then three pitch. And then we would, we would join softball leagues. And in Warsaw, almost every weekend of the summer, somebody was doing some fundraiser ball tournament. So we were always putting ball teams in. But you had to learn, right? You had to be trained because you can't just play ball. First, you got to get a glove. And you have to figure out even how to move the glove because the glove doesn't just move easily. It takes, takes a long time for that to become supple. 
So you begin to work the stiff glove. You, you train your hand in what it feels like. And then, once you kind of can open and close it, you get a ball. And you learn what it feels like to have a ball in the glove. You know, and you get that sense. And then it's time to learn how to use the glove and the ball. And so our parents would take us outside or other parents and they would, they would like roll the ball. It was so boring. And you would think, I know how to do that. Except you'd go to catch the ball and you'd do this. Except the ball's on the ground and your glove isn't. And you would have to learn to put your glove on the ground. And then, then eventually you would get to get a bat in your hand. And you would figure out and you would get trained in what it felt like to hold the baseball bat. And you would have to learn how to choke up on the bat. And you would learn how to swing. And then they would see you swing and they'd say, hey, you're not swinging right. You got to swing not from your elbows but from your shoulder. And you'd learn to swing from the shoulder. And you'd learn to swing with the follow-through. Same thing happened when you were being trained to ha- how to throw the ball. Not to throw with your elbow, but to throw with your shoulder. And then, once you could sort of swing the bat and catch the ball and grab a grounder or two, you would come to the plate. But you would have to be trained at how to stand at the plate. Where to shift your weight. How to stand at the plate with a bat in your hand. Swinging from the shoulder. Every step of learning to play ball requires training. And it requires work. And then I think the lesson that, well, I didn't like was learning how to not be afraid of the ball. And what that meant was you sacrifice your body for the game. If you're a ball player, you know the deal. Bruises, scrapes, skinned knees, sprained ankles, sore shoulders, aching elbows, they're all part of the joy of playing ball. But every step had to be learned. And it was learned a step at a time. And then once you knew the steps, it required practice. It required training. And you had to stay with it. So I have a question. How many, how many of you at one point in your life played ball? All right. How many think you could get out and hit a home run today? <laughs> That's because we quit training. Right? We, we quit training. We were ball players once, or hockey players, or basketball, or soccer, or football. And we invested in it, and we trained, and we practiced. But we, we all know that when you stop playing, and you stop practicing, and you stop training, you're just a has-been. <laughs> you once did. You don't anymore, but you once did. And listen, we are all entire to our glory day stories. But we lose our ability. We lose our level 
of expertise. So let me ask you a question. This is between you and the Lord. What is your godliness level? Now, would the Lord agree with you? Are you and him on the same number? So what is godliness? Godliness or godlikeness is more than godly character. And I've wrestled with this one because I think that sometimes we just, we just sort of brush it off thinking that godliness is godly character. Holiness is to be set apart, right? To be set apart from sin, set apart for the sacred. God sets us apart, declares us a holy people. But then there's godliness. And I, and I think that we've often just believed that godliness is a godly character. But I believe there's more to it than that. So godliness is a lifestyle that consistently reflects the character of God. Godliness is a devotion to God which results in a life that is pleasing to him. I couldn't decide which of these I preferred, so I gave you both. Godliness comes from living in the presence of God, of enjoying him. Do you enjoy the Lord? Do you long to please him by how you live? Your actions, your works, your words. I never got permission to share this story. So I'll ask for forgiveness later. Okay, Grace? So when Grace was like in mid-high school, we were having this conversation about rebelling and about life. Do you know where I'm going? And, and she talked about how when she was young, she felt very controlled. She felt like we only gave her a little piece of the world. And she wasn't wrong. We did. We controlled the people who influenced her. We, we gate-kept very intentionally. But as she was coming sort of to the end of her high school career, she was realizing that the world that was about to open up to her was massive and huge. And so we had this conversation one day, and she said, you know, I didn't not rebel because of you and dad. Because sometimes I really don't care what you think. She said, but I didn't rebel because of Rick and Pat and Dave and Bonnie and Bob and Marilyn. I, I didn't rebel because these people that are in my life, I want them to be proud of me. I want them to be pleased with the decisions I've made. See, we kept our kids in a very tight community in church. And these were the people that we lived life together at church and outside of church. We were the church together. See, when I was a kid, I would do anything to make my dad happy. I wanted my dad to be proud of me. I didn't want to get in trouble from my dad because that would be painful. I lived to please him. 
not in an unhealthy way, but in a healthy way. I, I lived my life so that he would be honored by my choices. I lived my life so that I would represent my dad well. See, this is godliness. It's not our earthly father or the people that we come together and live church life and be the church with. This is about you and Abba. You and our father. It's about living a life that pleases him, that makes him proud, that makes him smile, that makes him say, yep, that one, she's mine, he's, he's mine. I think far too often he's like, yep, that one, she's mine, she's a work in progress, but she's mine. See, godliness comes from living in the presence of God. Grace's expression about rebellion came because she lived in the presence of people who loved her so well. She knew them and they knew her. This has never been about, you know, unmeasurable expectation. It's about doing life together. So let me ask you, do you live to please God? Not in theory, but in practice. Does it cross your mind when you get up in the morning? Do you, do you think about it? when you're stuck in traffic and you didn't plan well and you're late? Do you think about it when the guy cuts in front of you with a massive cart full of stuff at Costco? Do you live to please the Lord? Do you live intimately with him? Or do you visit him? Do you visit him on Sundays? Do you visit him on the days you feel low or you're in trouble? Or do you live with him? What is your appetite for God? See, if you're not hungry for him, loved one, you're sick. Okay? You're sick. When... When we're under the weather and not feeling well, what is one of the first questions that get asked of us? How's your appetite? Because our appetite is an indication of our health. Do you have a healthy appetite? Are you not eating? How is your appetite for the Lord? Do you hunger and thirst for him? So here's the reality of training ourselves to be godly. Are you ready? Godliness assumes you agree with God. Simple but profound, isn't it? Godliness assumes you agree with God. So you cannot be godly 
and disagree with God. You cannot be godly and disagree with God. Godliness does not make room for debating God. Somebody's got to say ouch. This means that when you and God disagree, you're wrong and he's right. I need you to hear this. I've sat on this a lot. When you and God disagree, you are wrong. He is right. When you and God disagree, you're wrong. And he is right. I need you to let that sink in. Because you know what? There are hard, hard, hard things in this book. And if you don't know that there's hard things in this book, you need to start reading it. This is hard. And it requires things of me that are really hard. Like loving all my enemies. Not just the ones I can stomach. Loving politicians. Loving mean, crotchety people. When God and I disagree, I'm wrong. Not sometimes, but all the time. In order to be godly means you agree with God. And I understand the implication of that. And loved ones, you need to hear me. Agreeing with God will actually bring about the very thing Jesus talked about. The world will hate you. Because they hate him. The systems of this world will tell you you're wrong. It'll tell you you're intolerant. It will tell you you have no love. But when you... And God disagree. Who's wrong? I'm wrong. The only way to train ourselves into godliness is to get on this page. To understand there is no room for debating God. I, I used to have a list, literally a list, of things I would question the Lord about. Like danger noodles, why, mosquitoes, black flies. But then one day, this was early in my faith, I realized how, how obnoxious that was. 
I heard somebody recently say to me, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have some words with Paul. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're not going to challenge Paul. Because every time Paul and God disagreed, God won. Paul knew it. Paul's going to say, get with the program. God's right, you're wrong, let's move on. So godliness is living your life in the light of God's presence. And if you're not experiencing more of God in your life, then maybe that's because you're not living in his presence. Maybe it's because you're visiting. Maybe you visit frequently, but when you're a visitor, you can leave. You hang out where you live. If you don't live in his presence, you're not going to become a godly person. See, a godly person is obsessed with the presence of God. They are obsessed with pleasing God. Always thinking, what does God think? How would God want me to respond in this moment? What's God doing when he brings this obnoxious person in my path? How does he want me to love them? See, the godly person is obsessed with everything God. Like if you were postering your bedroom, every picture would be that of Yahweh. Everything about you is about him. His mind, his heart, his purposes, his plan, his mission. One year, a number of years ago, as I was asking the Lord for a word for myself, the Lord gave me these words that I speak to him daily. I live by the pleasure of my king. I serve at the pleasure of my king. Listen, I woke up this morning at the pleasure of my king. I'm here this morning at the pleasure of my king. Obsessed with God. So how do we get there? How do we train for godliness? Because see, now all of a sudden you might be like, this sounds impossible. The good news is Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, you might want to go to this one later, you have everything you need to be godly. Good news. You got it all already. If you know Jesus, you're set. You've got it. You've got to work it out. But you have everything you need. You have the spirit of God in you. He will help you yield to him. You need to understand that this is about your growth. And the enemy wants to stunt or kill your growth. Period. All the time. He hates you. All right? He just, he can't stand you. He hates your guts. He's never going to be for you. He always wants to destroy you. God, on the other hand, loves you. And he is for you. And yeah, he'll confront you. And yes, it will be painful. 
but he will hold your hand and lift you up, and he will equip you. He already has, because you have everything you need to be godly. But you have to choose to be obsessed with him, to live and breathe and have your being in him. It's more than character. It's action. It's attitude. It's a mindset. It's a choice. God has given us a new appetite when we became followers of Jesus. We have to feed that appetite. Listen, there's only one person that wants this to be boring to you, and that's the enemy. So perhaps later today, because it's a new year and you all want to have a spiritual discipline of reading your Bible, I know that's on your list. So today, when you pick it up or you go back to it, because you tried this morning and it was like blurred and painful, rebuke it. This is the living, breathing word of God. And the one who inspired it lives in you. He'll bring it to life for you. The enemy wants to kill and destroy you. Rebuke him and move on and enjoy the word of God. Feast on it. Feast. We have to become a people who have daily disciplines of reading the word, of praying. Praying not as you think you ought to be, but as you are. Do you know what I mean? God is not looking for you to be dressed up and all pretty to pray. He just wants you. He, he just wants you to come into his presence and say, it's a crummy day. And I actually don't even want to be here. Where my heart is sour today. Or he wants you to burst in without knocking and say, Lord, I can't believe you did this. He just wants you. And all the realness, all the rawness. He just wants you as you are. Bible study. Devotions and study are not the same thing. We need to learn to dig deep, and we have some amazing Bible scholars in our presence. So we need to understand the depth of the word. We need fellowship. Invite people over. Invite people for coffee. Choose to be with believers. We need discipleship. And you know, I... We talk about discipleship in the church all the time, but we don't do it very well at all. And I think we're all looking for a magical formula, but nobody's created it yet. So, how about this? You have a family of people on the same journey as you, figuring out the depth of our Father. How about you find somebody Ask the Lord, say, Lord, who should I talk to? And ask them out for coffee. Ask them if they would meet with you on a monthly basis to talk about your training towards godliness. Ask 
to people about their spiritual disciplines. How do you study the word? Because you know what? We're all afraid to ask the questions, but we all really want to talk about it. We all have doubt. We all have insecurity. We all know uncertainty. And I, and I promise that the way forward in, in authenticity is a greater blessing than the form of godlessness and having no substance. See, we're to, we're to encourage each other on. I forgot my communion cup. Let me go get it. I hope you have one. So why do we do it? Why do we agree with God? Why are we to choose to not visit him, but to live with him? We are, we are holding the emblems of the answer. See, you love the Lord because he first loved you. The mystery of God. If he knew we were going to sin, why did he bother? You know what? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that the answer is wrapped up in his love. And I do know that God could have made a way to reconciliation that didn't involve sinful people. But that's not what he chose. He, he chose us, his creation, to be used, to be set apart, to become like him. He began by assembling a people group and created a nation to be light of the world. And then this explosion of the spirit happened. And that nation became people of every tribe, every nation, every tongue. Light of the world. We cannot be a people who are the light of the world, that have a form of godliness, but no, have no power. He paid it all. Jesus came and he lived and he breathed and he taught. And the wind and the waves obeyed. And sickness vanished. And the dead came back to life. Ron Levine 
told me something about himself. And again, I didn't ask for permission, so I'll apologize, Ron. He, he said that he's a completed Jew. It's how he describes himself. He's not a messianic Jew. He's a completed Jew. Loved ones, training ourselves in godliness, being obsessed with God and pleasing him with every breath, with every action, with every thought. That makes us completed. And it's the invitation not to go it alone, but to go in submission to the one who's already given us everything we need to live godly lives. And what we hold in our hand is this reminder that we have everything we need. And it is this battle cry to the world that we choose to live surrendered to the Almighty because you know what? He's coming back. And there will be a day where every nation, every tribe, every tongue will bow before our king. We don't have to do this. We get to do this. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The sound of communion. I love it. Then he took the cup. And he said there was a new covenant now made in his blood. And that as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim his death and resurrection till he returns. Will you proclaim with me, church? Worship team, I'm going to invite you to come back up as we pray. I know you have a song picked, but can you start with the doxology? Just the chorus even? So friends, you have a decision to make. The mission, should you choose to accept it, is to train yourself for godliness. It's going to take work. It's going to take dedication. It's going to take consistency. And it's going to take a whole family to help. But if you're willing, he's able. So out of a response... I'm going to invite you to stand, saying, God, I'm willing. We're going to pray, then we're going to praise. So, Lord, we confess, first and foremost, that you already know our areas of weakness. 
Lord, perhaps for some of us, we never thought to think about it. We never thought to think about your presence in every moment of every day with every breath. But we want to be a people who are obsessed with you. So knowing we have all we need for godliness, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to empower us, to equip us, to correct us, to encounter us where we are, convict us, rebuild us, reform us, revive us, that we would be men and women who live and breathe the presence of Yahweh everywhere we go and everything that we do. Lord, may we make you proud of us. May we live lives that are so utterly pleasing to you because of all you've done for us. We surrender and we commit in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So as we sing out, I'm, I'm going to bless us so that we can just take some time in the Lord's presence and worship for a little bit. And then as you need to go, go. But I would invite you to linger for a moment and just settle your heart and let the Holy Spirit speak to you before you go talk to your friends. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Blessings upon blessings to you, my friends, as we begin this new year together. You are loved. Amen.